Welcome to the Freedom Fridays Project podcast. I'm Pete Clark, your host, The Whispers Guy. It appears that work expands to the time that we give it, and I started to explore how I was investing my time and effort, particularly on Fridays. It's evolved to an explanation and experiment with time, energy, attention and identity, and a mindset shift from I have to to I choose to. So if you're interested in exploring some changes to the way that you invest your time and your energy, if you'd like some tips on the way as you make some changes perhaps to your identity, if you would like the freedom of I choose to, away from I have to, then this is the podcast for you. So welcome to the Freedom Fridays Project podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of Freedom Fridays. I've got a very dear friend of mine who, uh, probably unbeknownst to her actually, I remember a significant coaching moment that she's one of the very few people that have helped me with that over the years. And because she doesn't even know I'm saying this, she might even ask me about it later. But it's a very dear friend of mine who I've known for a number of years in the UK. And again, because of the pandemic, we have connected again. And we're both in a very similar workspace, but we've both been jostling with what's been happening to our world. And so I'm delighted to, to welcome Harriet onto the, to the show. Harriet, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And of course, I'm now completely intrigued as to what this coaching <laughs> yes. moment was. Yeah, I'll, I'll share it with you either on this if it's relevant or, or offline. Okay, right. But uh, Harry, I normally start this by, you know, the premise of Freedom Fridays was choice, um, was, you know, adding life to our years and, you know, speaking to people, ordinary people that are doing extraordinary things. People have made big changes. How have you gone about that? What What forced you? What did you choose to do any red flags on the way? So that's how I start it. So I'm going to open it up with that. So for you, with what you're going through or having gone through, what's the big change that you made? Oh gosh, I think I think there's 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 a number that I that, that come up for me. Um, one that comes up is writing a book because I'm writing another book. So it's like how do you how do you do that when you're you've got other stuff going on? Um, and I think the other one was um, going from dabbling with stand-up comedy to the first show at the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, and I'm I'm a normal middle-aged mom, right? So this wasn't me as a young starry-eyed with a snapper going off to. So I, I think it's probably the the latter because that that un- unlocks a lot of if you know if I can figure out what I did there then. Um, I think there's a lot, lots of other changes I can make. By the way, can I also apologise? I know my sound is quiet, so listeners, <laughs> my neighbours during lockdown have done a Mexican wave of building. As soon as one of them stops, the next one starts. So this is the this is the most likely way of actually hearing me. That's cool. Look, H, if you're happy, I would love to pick up on the stand-up comedy piece. Um, partly because I'm intrigued yeah, sure. by it. Partly because I, I love having a laugh. Um, and I know there's probably, you know, anyone listening is probably sitting there. They'll immediately have crossed their arms and gone, come on then, make me laugh. Oh, I wouldn't even try. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, pay good money and we sit in a club, maybe. But um, I know that, that, that that's one of the worst bits, actually. You're in Edinburgh and you're flyering. I think everyone on this planet should have to do flyering at one point in their lives. It's the most humbling experience. 
Uh, explain what fly, explain what flyering so is. Flyering is you literally are handing out flyers to your show. Oh, um, there are three thousand plus shows, so you have to do everything you can to get people in. And it's soul destroying that you're there with these flyers for this show that you spend an awful lot of time and money um, creating, and people are either dismissive or they're actively rude. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure that if they're lovely people. Um, and then, but then people who do engage will be like, oh, they make us laugh. It's like, uh, this is a show about menopause. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that a one-liner on a street is really going to sell it to you or whatever. So. Yeah. Well, so maybe a little bit for the listeners don't quite appreciate the, the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, which is what you're talking about, where you did one of your shows, or one of many, is around the world, probably, it's like the Oscars for comedians, right? It's the largest... Um, festival in the world yeah wow so you you starred my words <laughs> you starred at the edinburgh festival that's like the world cup for comedians surely well yes and no because um imagine a world cup where you can bring your own football boots and um, <laughs> and stand in a dodgy park in the middle of nowhere and go i'm at the world cup so it's yeah. kind of DIY World Cup. Yeah, cool. I mean, I think you're playing it down a little bit. I, you know, it's very impressive as far as I'm concerned. But um, can, can I pick up on just the start of that? So uh, when did you know you were funny? Um, it's a really interesting question, that, because it feels a bit like saying to someone, you know, aren't you good looking? It's one of those skills... <laughs> If you if if you say you're funny, you instantly sound like a bit of an idiot. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a bit like I had a friend who was very very good looking at school, and yeah, she people would try and trip her up by going, "Do you think you're good looking?" And if she said no, they went, "Ugh." And if she yeah. said yes, they went, "Ugh." So I find that a really difficult question to answer without, and that I think for me is interesting about how we see ourselves and our identity, yeah. and there's a whole baggage of stuff there, right? Um. I think as a kid, I was that classic. I was a real geek at school, very academic, um, and that was not cool. So if you wanted to stop, you know, the school bullies throwing peas at you in the lunch hall, you better find a way of getting them on side. And for me, it was being funny. Um, and also right. in our family environment, it was highly valued. My dad's very funny. So I think I'm just trying to be Interesting. I've read a lot about... Um, in many circumstances, comedians in particular have used humour to fit in and, you know, to stop the bullying throwing pigs at, as you said. So do you think that's within all of us? And what, what do you think causes one person or another to choose humour as a way of fitting in? I am fascinated around, you know, we have to fit in. You know, as an, from an evolutionary psychology perspective, what, for the research I've done is, you know, we have to fit in. In caveman days, we would have been kicked out of the tribe mm. if we didn't fit it. We would have died. You couldn't have survived alone. So it's crucial, crucial, crucial. And laughter is a fascinating mechanism. So when there's, there's the difference between voluntary and involuntary laughter, if you want to find out more, Dr. Sophie Scott has got an amazing TED talk. Um, and... You know, so it's, it's a really nuanced way of kind of social cohesion, of shared goals, of smoothing over mistakes. Of, you know, it's got a lot of social mm. value. Um, 
so I don't think it's any different from any of the other social skills, building rapport or, you know, they all intermingle. Um, I just think I'm intrigued by why culturally it has this kind of like, ooh, um, difference attached to it. I don't, I don't actually think it's, it's a bit like, it's a bit like sales, right? You say to someone, you know, oh, I'm a salesman. And to some people, that's an identity they want to have. And other people find that, oh, I don't want to be a salesman. That's really cheap and nasty but if you unpick the skills within it yeah you know what can you build rapport oh i'm up for that you know can you uh persuade someone oh i'd be up for that can you add value help someone solve their problems i'd be up for that so so that's a very long-winded way of answering that i I think humor is actually just a composite of lots of skills we all have i remember um when we first not when we first met but when we first knew each other um a good friend of ours making the distinction when we're facilitating to rather than telling jokes, having fun. Mm. And the having fun part was what connects us as opposed to telling gags, here's the joke, right, can we move on to the serious stuff and being willing Mm. to be playful. Mm. Uh, To what extent does that show up when you're doing your stand-up? Oh, the best gigs are definitely the ones where you feel free and you can go anywhere. So, the set that you've got is kind of your safety zone, your, your like safety dance, if you know what I mean. But yeah. if something else comes out, if the DJ plays something else, then you'll you, you happily, happily dance, whatever. So, you know, riffing off the audience, going off on a tangent. And I, I always, it's painful, but I will video myself and I'll always look back at gigs and try and unpick what worked and what didn't and why. And you can just see it, the, di- the nights where I've died on my backside, there is this totally wooden, frozen, hesitating, you know, you could just see versus the nights where it's gone well, where you're just like having a laugh with your mates who happen to be complete strangers in a club. Yeah. Um, tell me the, any, any milestones. You've kind of gone from, you know, as you said, a geek at school to mm-hmm. stand-up comedy at the Edinburgh Festival. If someone was trying to make a massive, because that seems like a huge leap, were were there any key milestones on the way? Yeah, for sure. So I think think it is part of how I see myself that I like, you know, I really value being funny. I think it Mm. it has massive, some people see it as frivolous. I've got got told off at work by various bosses. Um, And... um, and, you know, and fair enough, I can see that in a couple of times I've probably been distracting in meetings or something. So I think it's, you can use it for the good or the bad, as it were. It's, it's yeah. like any skill, you can overplay it. But I, you know, I, have, I, I don't think we take humor seriously enough. I, um, it's such a valuable tool. So it's a big part of my identity and I value it. So mm. that's always been there since school. Um, and then I think you get then you, it gets reinforced right so you get praise and it's like you get the dopamine mm. hit when you make people laugh mm. um so oh, more than that and our job is quite performance based you know or can be so as a group coach or as a trainer or as a keynote speaker i get to do that a lot mm. and so it's almost like well let's you know let's do it in a in a purer form as it were mm. and so how, how do you get into the Edinburgh, Edinburgh festival is it literally that you can rock up with your own football boots and yeah, sit up no, a table and cheer and, and make people laugh. Yeah, and I think I, I'm a big believer in stitching yourself up. Um, if you want to make a change, making it impossible not to. 
Um, yeah. I remember there was a colleague of ours when we worked together who got an eye. She she bought one of these self assembly wardrobes, and she hated putting together that kind of stuff. So she put it at her front door. So she had to physically climb over it in order to get in and out of her house because she knew that it would annoy her so much that eventually she'd crumble <clears throat> and and put this bloody thing together. And and I just love that as a metaphor for how can I make it impossible not to? How can I stitch myself up so that if I want to do this thing, I've kind of got to do this thing. So it might be signing up for something where it's embarrassing to back out, like um, you and I did the London Marathon about the same time. And that was just like, once you've signed up and told everyone, you just feel like such a muppet to back out. Um, I'm a big believer in other people having accountability buddies. The only right. reason I'm remotely fit is having a, you know, a class that I've paid for, I've booked in and, and it's good fun and I like the lady who runs it. So um, with comedy, I, I signed up for a comedy course. There was someone I knew who'd, who was doing it at the same time. And then you're on a conveyor belt, right? You've just that one tiny step of going to a dodgy church hall randomly <laughs> in London and messing about. And then the last module of the course is you do a gig and then you're kind of bitten. So, so once I've made a decision with Edinburgh, it was mates, actually. It was, I mean, how middle-aged am I? I'm a member of a book club. And so I was chatting <laughs> to mates of the book club. And they were like, you know, do it, do it. And I was putting all kind of obstacles in front of myself, going, oh, but it's a lot of money and, oh, it's a lot of time. And, you know, you've got to have a venue to pick you and all the rest of it. And there was one lady that went, that's complete nonsense. I went there as a student and did a put on a theatre show. And you just, you just hands over, your, you know, you find a venue, hands over your money, jobs are good. And it's like, oh busted so you know so that, it just kind of made it impossible not to and then you find yourself up there going okay i appear to be at Edinburgh. <laughs> i do this thing and how long before you were kind of challenged to do it do it before the gig um i missed so i, I didn't appreciate how long in advance you needed to, to sign up so i missed one year right if that makes sense when oh, i'll do it and it's like no that's three months away you know everything's booked up but then that meant I could do it the next. And I think that's another learn for me is I'm really impatient and I'm likely to stop doing a change because I think I've missed the boat. And that's a lesson the universe keeps teaching me is it's probably going to take longer than you think. Right. Um, it just is. Uh, and I haven't cracked that code. Maybe there's some way, I'm sure there is, of doing it faster. But um, so, yeah, if I think about changes I'm trying to make now, if, oh my God, they're taking much longer than I would like them to yeah and and what what you mentioned you know that little step that you made um puts you on the conveyor belt what what keeps you on it and what chucks you off um i think 99 percent of things try and chuck you off (laughs) (laughs) you know because the universe is evil it does seem that sometimes, doesn't it? I, think, I mean, I, on my brighter moments, like the universe is testing you whether you really want to do it. Um, so I think, you know, I'm a mum, right? That's a really good excuse. Really good excuse. There's mm. always, um, you know, school clubs to ferry the little ones to. And there's brilliant excuses there. I work, you know, paying the mortgage is a brilliant excuse. Mm. So, you know, they're all reasonable excuses, right? Mm. Um you know, finding the time. So I think I think it's almost like 100% of things will want to chuck you off. And again, another lesson that I keep needing to learn is just because you want to do something doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
and there's almost a comfort in going oh I will do that thing oh I am going to write another book oh warm glow warm fuzzy glow and that almost you know so the research that I've you know read around goal setting is have the dream and then have a blooming detailed plan and I'm not very good at detailed plans so that's for me where accountability buddies yeah makes a huge difference so I'm just going next step nag next step have you done what you said you were going to do do you remember what you said you were going to do last week? Oh, no. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I know that you said um, you continue to learn. And and it, it picks up on a theme that I've, you know, recognized in myself, in the clients I work with, that the, the learning doesn't just happen and then it's done. Oh, I know. Unless it's like building a house, you know, it's a structure and you can go, I've done that, click, I can leave it. But it seems that we continue to learn the same lesson again and again and again and again oh, I know. and again. It's so frustrating. It's like, couldn't, could, yeah, I always agree. And it's almost depressing, you know. On a, um, my, I say on a good month, I will, you know, journal and think, you know, look at what's working, what isn't working. I'm not, I'm, I don't pretend to stick at that the whole time. And it's almost depressing. You look back and go, oh, I had that learning, 2008. Um, great uh so it's hard not yeah i do find it hard not to get dispirited by that not gonna lie yeah um you've completely turned it on its head for me again because you said 10 minutes ago you are more likely to do something for yourself when it's impossible not to and you kind of mm-hmm. try and stitch yourself up mm-hmm. which is completely reversing the whole premise of what i started this podcast with was what i'm going to go for my have to to i choose to and what keeps showing up is, you know, what choosing to means you're probably less likely to. All the people I've spoken to recently, they've said the same sort of thing. Well, when I have to, when it's impossible not to, that gets it across the line. Has that been your experience? But I think it's kind of, it's an order, isn't it? Because there's a difference between, oh. There's a difference between the kind of excuse of I have to, right? Using the phrase I have to as an excuse, oh, I have to pay the mortgage, I have to take the kids to school, as an excuse to not write the book, mm. go to Edinburgh, all right? Mm. There's, if you put in front of it, I choose to, and therefore I need to do X, Y, and Z, or, and therefore okay. I can't stitch myself up. That, that for me, so I think that choosing up front is absolutely crucial having the time and space and you know I've been on various kind of retreats and done various courses over the years that give you that time out having that Mm. time out to go what is important how what's your purpose what's your compass bearing you know how are you going to choose to spend your time and focus and energy what do you choose as your goal and then stitch yourself up you know because it's then it's going to because it's going to be at three o'clock in the morning the next day. You go, oh, blooming it! What's talking about? <laughs> um, and then, and then also, there's. I think there's points along the way. I found the Olympics absolutely fascinating, mm. um, because only the people in question, I think, will know. You know, when do you stop? When do you keep going? Um, with any kind of project, any kind of goal. I, mean, I was reading an article recently about, you know, choice for giving up on stuff. And I look back at projects where I've chosen to let go of them. Mm. You know, I think we should celebrate that more as well. 
when you don't, that always feels like a failure and it's not. So I'm choosing to no longer do this, but it's a choiceful thing to go, I'm stepping away from this have to train. Mm. Does that make any sense at all? I'm not sure that yeah, I, th- I think it's very relevant. I think, you know, if we, if, if I play it out and let's say somebody wants to make a change and they're choosing to, but make, but stitching themselves up. And one of the ways I can stitch myself up is to do it publicly and say, Hey, I'm mm-hmm. going to do this. Mm-hmm. And then six months later, for whatever circumstances, it that doesn't yeah. feel right. It doesn't feel like yeah. the right thing to do. I know with my pattern of reliability, I'll get something done. If I say I'm going to yeah. do it, I would feel enormous guilt and shame if I then choicefully yeah. said, nah, not for me anymore. I would find that really difficult. I think I um, had a bit of an epiphany a couple of weeks ago with an accountability buddy um, where we've both got projects that we're kind of in that like, what are we doing phase? This is going to work. And <laughs> um, had the revelation of, you know, let the cake bake. You know, you've taken it out of the oven too early. So um, have a have a, a review point that is a choiceful review point. Be clear on the criteria for that review in the same way that you'd, 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 you know, you'd put the pinner on for 15 minutes, get the cake out of the oven, put a skewer in it and see, does it come out mm. clean or not? What's the equivalent? So with, you know, I don't know, writing the book or doing another Edinburgh show, I think it's, you know, do the first draft, do the kind of, you know, splurge of what is it. And then but give yourself two months and then have a choiceful review to go, is this singing to me? Does this feel meaningful? Um, and then the criteria not kind of like, oh, this is a bit hard. Oh, I haven't yeah. got much time. Yeah. That's when you need to stitch yourself up. If it's still something you want to do, then you can choose whether to stop or go. That complete, I completely relate to that. Because the reason I'm doing this podcast, for example, is I committed to doing it for a year mm. to myself, not to, because I'm, yeah. I'm not really expecting anything to come out of it. I'm not expecting anyone to listen, but I made a commitment to myself to show up every week on a different format, come hell or high water, come wind, right. rain, hail and shine. I would, yeah. I would, because I know that's a superpower of mine. I'll just get it done yeah. if I commit to it, despite how hard it will be. Yeah. And I've, I've probably set myself this, you know, end of the 2021 to kind of go, okay, now time to review, to go, all right, do I continue? Do I continue the same way? Do I continue do a different way? Do I drop it? Do I see what else it means? And so I'm, I'm trying not to judge too quickly, but not right. just going to continue yeah. choicelessly. Yeah. Add infinitum. So that they, I completely relate to what you've just said. I mean, I need to take my own medicine, right? You know, because I, I, I'm a big, you know, I, I, I've got better at, at not listening to that voice at five o'clock in the morning, that voice at five or three in the morning. I mean, at least it turns up at pretty much the same time. You know, that's 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 nice of it to be at least consistent. Um, but uh, it's like, oh, hello. Right. Yeah. Um, thanks for your input. We've got a review in a couple of weeks. You know, stand down. Um, and, and being clear on what the criteria are for, for reviewing it. Um, one of the things I'm sure people that are listening will be interested in it feels like to me and I think for most people that doing stand-up would be one of the hardest things ever and I think in the job that we do you know as facilitators and coaches it's a great thing to at least experiment with because it mm-hmm. really tests 
so many things. How, how do you, how do you, because I'm assuming you do, how did you and how do you continue to cope with the, the nerves, the anxiety, when a joke falls flat and it bombs? How, how do you deal with that? It's funny, again, it's rather like I was saying at the start of this, that, you know, are you funny is up there with, you know, are you good looking, whatever. But I do find it fascinating how we go, oh, stand-up's the hardest thing in the world. And, like, basically, all you're doing is standing up for 10 minutes, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, or, you know, an hour max, right? Or if you're emceeing, an evening max. Whereas for most jobs, it's day in, day out. So it fascinates me that we kind of hold it up as being this really hard thing. Mm. You know, I look at most jobs and go, holy moly, you know, that's hard. So it's very interesting how we compare ourselves with other people and mm. their roles and usually beat ourselves up. Um, so I'll happily take the glitz. And go, yes, it's the hardest thing you can imagine doing. And, uh, well, <laughs> yes. you know, it takes a special kind of person, um, which is nonsense. Um, so I kind of am lucky in that I'm quite, an, I've, I've, anxiety has been side by side with me most of my life. So that's, I'm no stranger to anxiety. So, you know, whether it was, I don't know, taking exams, going to school, changing jobs, you know, everything has been a high level. So, so to, just, to get on stage, that, that anxiety is, is normal, right? I'm used to that. That's no, right. um, so I think the whole, feel the fear and do it anyway if something is important to you um you know i've learned that you've just got to ride that ride that wave so yes there are tricks and tips so i on a perfect gig i would go i'd make sure i had some nuts that for me is the perfect protein um i don't drink too much that i bite the side of my tongue ever so slightly to get enough kind of um water in the mouth as it were but don't drink too much on the pee all the time I'll go for a walk, I'll get some quiet space and I'll manufacture that by having white noise and headphones. So find somewhere in the venue that I can wander around. I'll try not to look at my content, uh, although that's kind of <laughs> addictive to do that. Um, and I've got, you know, and, and, and breathing is one of the quickest ways, you know, so breathing, standing, standing kind of calmly, breathing and, you know, finding a, phrases that work for you in your head you know um for me for some bizarre reason it's only a game show you know uh, just silly phrases that kind of block out the world. So there are all kinds of like you know but you're going to feel anxious right um and then with the dying on your backside um i think that's a really good metaphor for dying on your backside in, in life that you, you can do things to prep so i've got better at having stock jokes for when something dies okay. um, or when particular heckles or particular things happen that you've got stock ways of dealing with that um, but I just channel my I don't know if you've heard of there's a UK comic called James A. Calster who I, I think is brilliant so what was his name Mitch? James A. Calster um, and he his last show was about having a breakdown actually and coming back from that and he had a breakdown on like basically on um, the Great British Bake Off on on, uh, on telly, so it was a very public kind of thing. Mm. And he just talked about like it's your job, messing up is part of the job. It's part of the job. It just is. <laughs> and I find that infinitely comforting. And I think that's true for life. That it just you can't avoid it. It's just part of the deal. Yeah, and and 
the addition I would make is if you avoid it, you're not really living life. Yeah, although I, I don't know, I have some, some kind of beef with, I do get the whole, you know, it's in, when we're uncomfortable, we grow and all the rest of it. But again, maybe it's because I'm someone who's kind of lived with anxiety a lot. I do sometimes think that we, do we have to be really uncomfortable to grow? If that makes sense. So I think just chucking yourself needlessly into into stress is sometimes something we do, and kind of confuse it with growth. Um, mm. If that makes sense. Um, Where I was coming from was more that life can be messy. Oh God, yeah. It's rare. Yeah. It's rarely tied up in a bow. Yeah. And you know, if you always want it tied up in a bow, you're probably not really living at the edge. You know, you're not really experiencing the messiness and the beauty and the chaos. Yeah. That's my narrative of what life brings. So I remember reading Brene Brown said, you can't, what was it she said? You, you can't subjectively numb emotion. Mm. So if you do, you got to numb it all. Mm. Whereas if you don't, you got the only way you get to feel the real joy is to feel the real sad. You only get to feel the real happy when you feel the real angst mm -hmm. and almost like living, feeling it all as opposed to feeling none of it. Cause you can't subjectively kind of go, I just want to feel happy, not the bad bits. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's maybe, that's maybe part of my identity as I live my life in, you know, this complete topsy turvy way of living in the moment. Maybe that's <laughs> one of my rules that I'm trying to live by and kind of experience accepting and expecting those moments and mm. it's maybe a comfort blanket way of getting through it no interesting i think i think maybe where i'm coming from is the kind of hero culture i see it a lot in the corporate world of yeah dun, 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 dun. i'm operating in 12 time zones and i've got back-to-back -back meetings and i'm you know i'm putting myself out of my my comfort zone by doing this promotion to a job that i can't stand and i'm never going to see my family um i think i think i see that a lot in my coaching work and right. I, I, just for me, it's like how can you thrive? There's a whole piece there, um, but the numbing thing's really interesting. And I, I think I'm getting better at going. Hello, emotion. What's the message? Like, it's the dashboard, right? And often it's actually, oh, it's caveman part of my brain. Bless you, love you, squeeze you. I can see you're not feeling safe right now. Let me reassure you. These are not another tribe with spears. You know, this is the 21st yeah. century, and it's just a heckler. Uh, and it's all good, and they're not part of our tribe, and I'm not under threat. But thanks for the message, Caitlin. Part of my brain, love it. Um, what, a, what a great explanation! I, I've been chatting to people recently about the distinction between having thoughts or being had by your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And what you've described is a perfect way of articulating having thoughts and not yeah. being had by them. Yeah, I, I talk with my coaches a lot about Trevor the caveman. I don't, I don't know why, but with the kids, that's how I articulated it. And I mean, there's all kinds of books, right? Like there's, you know, the chimp paradox, there's people describe it differently. Um, but yeah, Trevor the caveman is very chassis in my head. And um, to mix my metaphors, I also just talk about a kind of sushi uh, bar conveyor belt. Have you ever been to one of those restaurants where they have like sushi on a conveyor yeah. belt? Yeah. So Tre Trevor the caveman is just producing all these thoughts a bit like, a bit like sushi on a conveyor belt. I don't have to pick them up. I don't have to eat the pickled raw tuna. 
Thanks, Trevor. Oh, it's come around again. Oh, you've been sending that one since, since 2008. Bless you. Still not going to have it. Thank you. You know. Oh, I've had a nibble again. Oh, I'll put in that one down. Um, yeah. So. Um, I, 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 we've run out of a little bit of time. We've got a couple more things I'd like to ask you. Um, I want to pick up on the identity piece. And yeah. if, if anyone's listening that has an inkling, has a seed within them that they'd like to shift uh, their identity, um, what advice, and I know it's not, a, you know, here's three steps to doing it, you know, here's your top 10 lists, you know, I know it's not as simple as that, but given the, the shift that you've made and how this is how you see yourself, any advice for someone that currently doesn't see themselves that way but would like to? I really like Hermione Ibarra is one of my professional crushes. So she, she writes a lot for the Harvard Business Review. And she talks about, oh, she's got an article on authenticity, which I found very helpful about the kind of making it fluid. The identity sounds so fixed, right? It sounds yeah. very digital, mm. on or off. And she's got a much more fluid concept of it. And I quite often use the metaphor of a wardrobe in mm. that um, you put on a new pair of shoes and they feel a little bit, tight or a little bit weird to be on and you wear them in and then they just they're fine right um or you've got that really smart outfit that you probably would only wear for a wedding or a big party you wouldn't wear it every day but it's it's cool it's in the wardrobe so i think rather than thinking about identity shifts for me it's about i what's helped us go well i can i can get another item in the wardrobe and and then suddenly you look and you go oh i've got quite a big wardrobe um, so I guess that's unpicking it from a scary word. What well, what I mm. find quite an overwhelming word like identity and just and just breaking it back down into into like for this occasion I can do this I can wear that. Mm. Um, and who was the author? H. Ibarra I B A double R A Hermione Ibarra. Okay, cool. Um, is it harder for a woman in stand up? I think it was. Um, right. I, I have, you know, direct experiences of, oh, we've already got a woman on the bill, love. So, you know, <laughs> uh, won't have you tonight. Um, and, but are women funny? Women aren't funny. Oh, you're quite funny for a girl. And also being in the, the green room or being backstage and having male blokes, male comics, eviscerate women on stage. Um, so that was my experience probably 10, 15 years ago. I would like mm. to think that that has shifted massively. Mm. I mean, you know, that's come back to your identity piece, you know, the role models out there. Mm. It's, it's, it's much more, you know, if you'd said 15 years ago, name a female comic, I think people would want, uh, 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 whereas now you could, you could reel off, you know, a whole, a whole bunch. I think that the, the, the role model thing is, makes it easier to step into that identity as well mm. cool why don't we pause there um i've got a few kind of quick fire questions to to throw okay. at you if you're happy to take part in that um the, the first one's an obvious one for me who's your favorite comic um i don't like choosing favorites um <laughs> by that limiting and annoying um so you probably if you ask me that question tomorrow i'd probably give it a different answer so james a caster is definitely up there um but then you know uh as are a gazillion other people david mitchell um lee mack um yeah and oh, 
I remember Lee Mack on, I think it was Graham Norton, telling his Butlin's story. Okay. And I have never laughed so much in my life. Anyway, separate, separate <laughs> conversation. Um, favorite word in the English language? Can I have two? Sesquipedalian pleonast. <laughs> okay. Is that one word or two? It has two words, and it's someone who uses um, too many long words unnecessarily. Oh, gold. How cool is that? That's my mom, was, my mom was an English teacher who kept a dictionary in the car to while away boring times. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. <laughs> a book that's changed your life. Ooh. Changed my life. Right. To be honest, Jilly Cooper, Harriet, all right, which is the most trashy Mills and Boom crud. But if at any low point in my life when you need to just absorb yourself in something cotton wool, I know every word of that book. So I, I think we underestimate the power of something that's utterly absorbing and mind-numbing and also actually now looking reading it it is a hilarious con- deconstruction of misogyny in the 1970s disgust wow. wow and um a rule you live your life by um rule i live my life by wow Gosh, I think I just make it up as I go along, Peter. I'm not sure I have any rules I live my life by. <laughs> That's I the rule. I make it up really, as I go along. I want to say something really profound and meaningful. Mm. Um, I, th- I think it's funny, my, um, well, there's um, on, the, on the kids' school at the doors, you go in, it, it, it's got a quote by John Wesley, which is, you know, do all the good you can to all the people you can in all the ways you can, yada, yada, yada. And I, and I yeah, I think it's just, you know, be kind really, at the end of the day. Mm. Well, I think that's a, a perfect way to pause. H, thank you so much for your time. And great, there's been no Mexican wave of construction going on next door. No, the builders are having a day off. Very exciting. Well, thanks for having me on, Pete. That was really good fun. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. Speak soon. Bye.